This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. We are joined today by Luke Jordan, who's also known as Strider. You might remember his name being mentioned on episode 22 when we talked with Matt, who is the regional coordinator for the North Country Trail sections in North Dakota, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Strider successfully through-hiked the North Country Trail in 2013, and at that time was the fourth person to complete the trail. Strider hiked the trail with a goal to raise awareness about the trail, and afterward, he published a book, Threw Him Back Again, about his time on the trail. From the challenges to the trail angels, it's a book that will bring you along with Strider on the highs and lows a thru-hiker goes through. Most recently, he was through hiking the Trans-Ozark Trail, but the current pandemic has put his hike on hold. We're super excited to talk with you about your experiences, Strider, so thanks for joining us on our podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your outdoor background and how you even got the interest in hiking? Sure. Um, for me, it actually started when I was really young. Um, I can remember my first, my first camping trip I can think of. I think I was about maybe three. And uh, basically, my, my parents took our family up about twice every summer, uh, on about a week-long camping trip, usually somewhere on the North Shore of Lake Superior. And so that was kind of an annual thing that we did, kind of checking out different places. And um, so obviously it was more, you know, day hikes when I was younger. But then as I got a little bit older, um, especially when I could drive and could finally travel on my own, I started exploring a little bit more, taking a little bit longer trips. Um, But I definitely had that outdoor admiration at a very young age, just from spending time in the woods, camping in a tent. Um, And then I got into hiking more, as I said, kind of as I got older, was able to drive and um, I, I would take some long weekends, um, just kind of really filling in the gaps of the Superior Hiking Trail, trying to hike that whole thing kind of in pieces. And I really didn't get into backpacking until I was in college, actually. And that, that interest kind of came from just listening to other people who had done long hikes, uh, some of them in other countries, kind of hearing their their stories and getting really, really inspired. Like, hey, maybe I should try, you know, doing something like that. And then I got my first backpack about a year after those conversations started happening and kind of did some experiments with some different gear to see what worked for me. I made the the decision after I graduated college, I was going to do a through hike. And at the time, I really didn't know which trail I was going to do. 
at the time I was actually thinking maybe, maybe I'd take on the Pacific Crest Trail or something like that. And then I decided to spend some time volunteering on the Spirit Hiking Trail that summer. And it was actually my first time ever volunteering on the trail crew that one of the local people and one of the regulars told me about this thing called the North Country Trail, which at the time I had never heard of. And so as soon as I got home after that weekend, I got on the computer and did some research and found out that, holy cow, you can walk from North Dakota all the way to Vermont. And uh, the, it, it kind of got the, the spark going and I got more and more interested and more intrigued by that trail. I decided to not do you know, one of the more common popular trails and instead do this one that hardly anybody had ever heard of. And uh, I'm definitely, I, I made the right choice for sure. I'm glad that I did that trail as my first through hike. Well, yeah. And to dive into that trail, because especially like at that time, there was, I mean, there still are so many sections of that trail where you're just walking on roadways or really like weed whacking. Is that correct? Uh, sort of. Um, it's a little bit misleading if you just kind of eyeball what the map currently says but it's really there's more mileage on the ground than you would think it is not 100 percent continuous obviously and um mostly it has to do with you know private land issues but basically about two-thirds of it has been built so that with a trail this long that means there's about 1500 miles of uh roadwalk of some variety um the good news is most of it is not necessarily on paved roads so they're they're more kind of secluded backcountry gravel or dirt roads, which is a good thing. But the, the good thing about it is that most of the roadwalks aren't terribly long. Like looking back at my journey, I can only think of maybe three or four days on the entire trip where the entire day was on a road. So the roadwalks kind of get shorter and uh, fewer the further east you go. And I think one reason why the North Country Trail until now hasn't had many through hikers, I think a big piece of it is if you just take a glance at the overview map, there's some pretty sizable roadwalks in there. And I think that scares some people. They, they see that and they immediately get this idea, well, oh, this trail isn't complete. It's unhikable. And that's really, that's not the case at all. That's far from reality. Um, as long as you plan around those areas, plan ahead of time, knowing that, yeah, you're probably going to have to spend 40 bucks on a hotel some nights or have a support crew for this one specific piece of the trail. It is very doable. The Western half of North Dakota, that's one of those areas, unfortunately, where they, they have some lengthy roadwalks in there where the trail hasn't been built yet. So you have to get creative in those kind of areas. But as long as you take the time to plan around it, it's very, very doable. Do you know the number of people that actually have successfully through hiked? Yes. Um, so the, and it, it depends how you define it as well. Um, currently on the North Country Trail, we only, we have an end-to-end -end policy, but there's no, there's no difference right now on there between through hikes and section hikes. So the numbers right now are there's eight people who have successfully through hiked it um, in one season. And then there's been, I think, around 20 that have done it in pieces over several years. Um, so for a total, I think there's less than 30 people that have completed the whole trail, something like that ballpark. Okay. Yeah. That's quite an achievement then to be one of those. One thing that drew me to this trail was other than the fact that not many people had done it it was kind of an unknown adventure to tackle is the fact that how diverse it was especially you know coming from a natural resource background um, that was one of the things that intrigued me the most about it so for me as an eastbound hiker starting in north dakota you're starting in the tall grass prairie which is kind of a unique environment for any of the national scenic trails currently i, I think it's the only one that goes through a grassland type environment 
So for the first, you know, 500 miles or so, you're in, you're kind of on the edge of the Great Plains hiking through um, some pretty flat areas. But I was also surprised about how how not flat parts of North Dakota are. Most of the trail actually fall, you're within the Cheyenne River Valley. So there's actually some pretty dramatic uh, topography in some areas. I remember Matt mentioning that too. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was very, I was pleasantly su- surprised. And that was kind of my first introduction really to the, the Great Plains. And eventually gave me the inspiration to three years later tackle that trail. Um, but uh, so there, there definitely is, it's not just, you know, we feels and telephone poles. There's, there's stuff to see there. There's um, big like prairie pothole type lakes, um, even some reservoirs you go through. There are some wooded areas, some small forests, um, grasslands. So you get a little bit of everything out there. And then once you transition into Minnesota after the first 500 miles or so, you're in the, the North Woods. And that's kind of what that gives the North Country Trail its, its real character is, you know, the big pine trees, the lakes, the rivers, the, you're in the North Woods for most of the time. Um, so that kind of starts in Minnesota and carries through all the way about halfway through the lower peninsula of Michigan. You're, you're kind of in that North woodsy environment. And uh, some of the parts of Northern Minnesota, like along the Superior Hiking Trail has some of the best actual hikeable trail along the entire length of the North Country Trail and including a piece through the Bounty Waters. And I, they hit, we have 180 miles or so that's within like, you know, Itasca State Park and the Chippewa National Forest. So there's a lot of continuous off-road trail that's just waiting out there to be hiked. That environment kind of continues through Wisconsin, which is actually a pretty, a pretty small state mileage wise. There's just, just over 200 miles. So, I mean, you can, you can hammer out that whole state in a little over a week if you really wanted to. And then the same thing, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, is kind of similar to what you find up in northern Minnesota. It's kind of those a um, lot of exposed, uh, pretty much exposed like mountain ranges, and there's rivers and waterfalls, and some some of the most amazing scenery can be found up there. And also some of the most uh, probably the most rugged hiking anywhere on the trail. There's some pretty steep you know uphill climbs where you're just hiking on rocks the whole time. Um, and then once you cross the Mackinac Bridge into Lower Michigan, once you get maybe I'd say maybe 30 miles or so north of Lowell where the headquarters is, which is about halfway, you kind of exit the North Woods at that point. And then you're actually in more open farm country for the next thousand miles or so as you go through Ohio. And, and then the western part of Ohio, it, it is pretty flat, but there's lots of historical sites there that I think kind of makes up for the lack of, or I guess the supposed lack of scenery in Ohio is it has, it makes up for that with its historical significance. Um, one example is, big piece of the trail down there is along these old canal towpaths that have been obviously decommissioned, haven't been used in a long time. But many of the, the former towpaths have been kind of restored and preserved and are now available as trails. And uh, that, that's one of the things that as they're trying to figure out, you know, where should this trail go? That's one of the many features we look for is not only where are the scenic spots, but where are the any historical sites as well to kind of tell those stories. And then the biggest city, anywhere along the trails, Dayton, Ohio. So there's parts of the trail that go through areas you wouldn't expect, you know, heavily populated. Where are you going to build a trail through just endless housing developments type of areas? And which, again, it's not really, not really a typical spot that a National Scenic Trail would, would go through. But we have the advantage here where there are some existing rail grades that happen to be decommissioned, and they had, they had the foresight to turn those into trails. And that provided one of the, one of the most continuous pieces of the trail in that part of the country 
and allowed us to get it off the road. So we kind of just took advantage of that. And then once you get down to basically by Cincinnati, you head further and further east and you go along what I call the southern tier, where there's a couple spots where you're pretty close to the Ohio River. And you feel like you're in a whole different country, basically. It's kind of the, you're in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains at that point. It's really has a different character than anywhere else on the whole trail. It's kind of the, Ohio's kind of the oddball that sticks out. Parts of it kind of are like Michigan, parts of it are like Pennsylvania, but it kind of has its own thing kind of in that middle section. And then the foothills kind of continue all the way through Pennsylvania. So you're in this kind of semi-mountainous rolling terrain and then you start kind of a gradual uphill climb as you make your way towards New York and then once you get into New York it's kind of these little pockets of state forest land which you kind of feel like you're in the north woods again and then once you get further and further east you actually finish in the highest elevations on the whole trail where in some spots you're over a mile high as you're hiking through the Adirondack Mountains and then you finish in Vermont where it actually as of last year and now does connect to the Appalachian Trail directly. And there's no, there's no sign there yet, but I'm hoping that sometime this year, you know, depending on um, you know, how the virus, everything plays out. So the idea is that in the future, once we finally do get some kind of terminus marker up there, that all those Appalachian Trail hikers that make it all the way to Vermont, they will start seeing a sign for this trail. And maybe they'll start thinking, oh, I never heard of this. I want to find out more. Because just from, from my own experience, but also from talking to other hikers is, you know, if you make it that far, in your first through hike, you're already kind of thinking about, you know, what's my next hike going to be? Okay. Okay. And did you find that most parts of the trail were well marked? For the most part, yeah. There's a couple areas that um, at the time were a little bit trickier wayfinding wise. Um, either there weren't enough blazes in certain areas, or there are some spots where it's a little bit harder to get out there and maintain it because it's so remote. Um, at the time, some of those were in like the Western Upper Peninsula of Michigan. There are some spots down in Southern Ohio. Um, and I, I haven't been back to some of those areas to see if they've actually improved. I've heard that they have, which is a good thing. So it's going to be a little bit, it could be a little bit different now than it was when I was out there. But for the most part, the trail was well-marked, well-maintained. Um, I really had very, I had very few issues navigation-wise. Yeah, well, and I mean, it was, it's so cool reading your book right now because it seems like so many people found out that you were hiking this trail, that you were only the fourth person to be doing it. So it just seemed like so many people wanted to reach out and help you and hear your story. Right. Yeah. I was, I was blown away at the amount of trail magic I received. Like I was, I was hoping and planning on receiving, you know, some here and there, but just the sheer amount and as often as it occurred, just blew me away. And many of the people I met, um, ended up becoming lifelong friends, basically. And I'm forever grateful for those people that helped me out. And that's kind of the, the overall theme of the book I ended up writing is it more focuses on that. It's not just about, you know, the scenery or what I saw or how many miles I hiked that day. But the overall theme is really the people you encounter when you're out there. They're, they're really the ones that make or break a hike. Yeah. And I like how when you're writing it, like you always leave them like a small little message at the end of your passage. You're like, it was great meeting you, this person. I hope that you're doing well or something. Like you make these like really great connections with all the people you met along the way. And that's one reason I love reading it so much. It just shows like the trail magic and the connections you make with humans out there. Absolutely. Yeah. It's by far the the best part of anything, right? 
So going back to like how you even got into hiking, was there like a specific time that you like just remember being like, yes, North Country Trail is going to be it? I mean, were you scared to be like the for- only the fourth person to go out and defeat this trail? Uh, I, I don't know if scared is the right word, but I was definitely, um, I was unsure of myself. I was a rookie at the time. I had never done really any long hike. The longest trip I had done was actually the year, the year before I did my through hike. It's kind of a, a warm up or a prep hike. I spent six days on Isle Royal and covered a hundred miles in that time. So that was like, it would have been about seven months before I ended up hitting the trail. And so I went from a hundred miles to right into 4,600. Um, so I was definitely unsure if, if I'd even be able to do it. I just told myself that I was going to do the best I could and for sure at least make it through Minnesota before I got before I gave up. And I hit a couple roadblocks here and there. I almost ended up bailing um, kind of on the eastern end of the UP because I had um, the kind of one obstacle after another that kind of wore down on me and um, but ended up making it through. And then once I kind of overcame that last obstacle, I ended up making it all the way and it ended up being a life changing experience in many, many ways. Um, so I was definitely, I was nervous just because I was more inexperienced, but I ended up planning it out so well that if anything really went wrong, depending on where I was, I usually had some kind of backup plan or I had an idea for how I could, like how I could escape any potential situation that might arise. The good planning really pays off a lot. Oftentimes when I, I, I give talks sometimes about my experience. And one thing I always tell people is, you know, if you want to do one of these trails that doesn't get as much traffic this it's not like hiking the AT there's no guidebook that's not continuous all the way through it takes a lot more planning to kind of pull off a hike like this so I'm lucky that I'm kind of I'm very detail oriented and I like to know I like to plan ahead of time you know where I'm going and so I kind of had I focused most of my planning efforts on those pieces of the trail that weren't complete the areas where the trail is currently on a road. I kind of focused on, okay, are there any campgrounds near here I can use? Is there a town that has a motel? Um, you know, where are some water sources? Kind of focusing on those areas of my planning efforts so that if anything came up and it got into a, a jam, I kind of had a way around it. Kind of knew, knew when those areas were coming up when I was out there and was able to plan ahead for those. So planning is absolutely the most important thing for this trail. And that's, I was fortunate that I, I kind of front-loaded a lot of, my planning uh but I started about a year and a half before I actually hit the trail wow yeah that's that's a huge huge time beforehand and as far as like planning did you find that there was a lot of campgrounds where you were or did you find you had to end up in hotels often or a lot of the times it sounds like people were taking you up for the night in their homes yeah, so kind of a combination of everything uh there are a couple kind of conveniently located either like campgrounds or many of the the small towns the trail goes through it if there is a hotel they're usually very affordable they're you know 40 or 50 bucks a night um which is very fortunate but yet that is the unfortunate reality is people that are hoping to save money there are times when you might have to drop 50 or 60 bucks for a hotel and that's that's true on really any trail for the most part um so i i planned ahead for that and knew that okay because this trail is a continuous all the way through i'm gonna have to budget for hotel stays and so i kind of calculated that ahead of time so I was I was prepared to shoulder that cost and it it worked out fine and you did this hike um like right after you graduated college correct I did yes like you were planning that like your senior year of college and if you were planning like a year before you went out mm-hmm. like while you were finishing college you you knew in your mind this was the goal 
Uh, yeah. So basically, I I first heard about the North Country Trail. It would have been June of 2010, which was my first time volunteering on the trail crew, and that's when I found out about it. And within a couple months, I kind of made the decision I'm gonna attempt this trail when I graduate. And so pretty much from that point on. Um, and it wasn't like constant, obviously, because when you're in college, you have other obligations. I had a job at the time. I had to focus on my grades more than anything. So I, I kind of did it whenever I had free time, I would be on the computer planning for the hike. And so about a year and a half of kind of on my spare time off and on going through everything. The first thing I did was I got a list of all the towns that are, you know, within maybe four miles of the trail. And then I got the address of the post office and what the what the hours of operation were, what the address of the post office was. And then after I had that done, I pulled out all the maps and started planning the route. I'd be like, okay, so of all these towns, which ones are roughly, you know, five or six days apart. And so I the very first thing I did was come up with the food drop schedule, just based on how many miles I planned on covering and based on where certain towns were located. And then from doing that, I was able to identify, okay, there's a couple areas here that are super super remote um and I, I actually had to plan for nine or ten days of food um so i i knew where those areas were ahead of time yeah i was watching one of your youtube videos with the guy who interviewed you where you like do a whole pack shakedown with him and you mm -hmm. pulled out your food supply and it looked pretty pretty hefty at that point that must have been a 10-day supply possibly yeah yeah and that, that there was only a couple times when i had to do that um, for the most part, I tried to keep it down to, you know, five or six days. It's much more manageable. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And did you plan all of your food drops, but like before you went out or did you like just stop at stores along the way ever? So I, I planned all of my food drops well in advance, but there was obviously room for flexibility because plans change when you're out there on the trail, especially when you're on a, a trip that long. I was out there for six and a half months. So things change, especially because I fell a little bit behind schedule in the beginning because of snow. And then I, I kind of got caught up as the snow melted. I did some pretty high mile days. And so my, my actual schedule changed a little bit and I ended up swapping some of the towns, which is why it's good ahead of time. I had that entire list of every town that was even a remote possibility. So that if I had to switch at, at the last minute, it was very, very doable because I already had the address and all the info right there. So that was that was probably the most important thing I did. And I did it right off the bat. That's the first piece of my planning process that was done. Um, and I, I chose to go the post office method because uh, it, it's not the AT where there's not, you know, hiker hostels in most of these towns. And actually many of the towns are small. They might only have a convenience store, if that. So it was the only way that I, I could be sure that I was getting what I needed. If I kind of bought it all ahead of time and sent it to myself, I would know that I have what I need. Um, and that, so that, that was kind of just a personal choice and it felt like the safest route. And that's what I, I recommend to people if they're planning on the NCT is there are, there are many areas that are pretty remote. They're small towns and many of them don't even have even sizable grocery stores. So it's really, it's the safest way to ensure that you're going to get what you need when you're out there. And as far as planning what kind of food to be sending yourself in those packages, did you give yourself a variety and did you like count your calories per day? Were you strict about that? Uh, I wasn't too strict. I just wanted to make sure that I had enough calories so that my body wouldn't start eating itself, basically. And it's actually surprising how hard it is to get, you know, 4,000 calories a day. You have to really load up on uh, lots of fatty stuff but even even then it's it was surprisingly hard to get high calorie stuff that's lightweight and so i think my daily intake was roughly 
you know, maybe 3,500 calories, um, which is just enough to, you know, be fully, I guess, to be at a, a full level of, you know, staying healthy. And it, it wasn't, I mean, I, I ended up losing 20 pounds uh, throughout the whole hike, but that most of that disappeared in the first two months and then it leveled off after that. And then the rest of it stayed constant, the rest of the hike. Um, so I don't think I was ever in any danger of like my muscles being torn away slowly. I tried to keep my calorie intake above 4,000 and it's surprisingly hard to do that. I, I basically just did typical trail food. I had one one kind of meal every day and it was some variety of either a rice or a pasta dish that had to be rehydrated. And then I would just snack pretty constantly throughout the day on trail mix and Slim Jim's dehydrated fruit, lots of stuff that wouldn't really melt or perish very easily. And so I just kind of had a schedule and I tried to pick, especially for the meals, I had different flavors. I think I, I think I had 18 or 20 different varieties so that I wouldn't be eating the same thing over and over again. And that's, uh, that was really an important thing because <laughs> I mean, even after the, the trip, I couldn't eat trail mix for two, two years because I had, I had trail mix every day for six and a half months and it gets, it gets old after a while. Well, yeah. And even like dehydrated food gets old after a while. I think I'm at the part in your book where like, I think your mom packed you guys, you and um, your college friend who hiked with you, she had packed you some sandwiches and you're like, I, it was so great to have something besides a dehydrated meal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It does. It does get old after a while, which is so important that you have a variety of flavors, but also having food that you like the way it tastes. Cause if you're, if you're eating stuff every day that you don't like, it tends to affect your mood somewhat. And if you're in a bad mood every day, because you hate what you're eating, you're actually far less likely to finish your hike um, because bad energy gets built up over time. If you're in a bad mood every day, it, it might push you over the edge and decide, okay, I don't want to be out here. So having, having really good, desirable food is very, very important. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. It really does motivate you. So was there ever a day where you ate something that just really, you didn't have enough energy and you were just wanted to be done? Um, I can't think of a day like that, but I, I got really sick of um, a lot of the protein bars that I had. And even then I had maybe eight or nine flavors of those. And I think by the end of the hike, there was three of them that I couldn't touch anymore because I just had too many of them. And um, so like, even to those days, those three flavors, I still can't eat them. And it's been seven years just because I had, I had so many every single day. And yeah, I mean, it got, it got old eating rice or pasta, but at least I enjoy what I was eating. And it felt, especially when it was cold outside, it felt refreshing to have something warm, uh, which is pretty important. Um, and then kind of the, the opposite of that is on the really hot days, having like just a bag of fruit snacks something really simple made all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then like all the people, you know, when you stopped in the towns and when, when people offered to have you in their houses, they were so kind. And some of them offered you meals too. So that would work in a variety of food for you as well. Right. Right. And that actually made my days in town a lot more fun. I was able to not only get my next food drop, but also go to the bar, get a burger and fries, get some real food. Um, your body starts craving certain things when you're out there. And for me, I didn't really get like my full appetite until I made it about halfway. I'm not sure why that was, but you're, you start craving some strange things when you're out there. And I, I can think of two things. Um, I started craving fresh fruit. So I kind of had to change my food drop diet a little bit and throw in uh, more dehydrated fruit and more stuff like fruit snacks. And even like, I, I swapped out a lot of my M&Ms for Skittles instead, because having that fruity flavor kind of helped satisfy that craving somewhat. And then for some reason, I started craving mayonnaise a lot. 
So pretty much anytime I went into town, I would see if they had a subway and I'd go immediately there and get a sandwich with mayonnaise on it. Yeah, some some strange cravings when you're out there for that long, for sure. <laughs> yeah, the mayonnaise <laughs> is a really strange one. Fruit, I could see fruit because it's so refreshing. Right. The mayonnaise is, yeah, that's a real interesting one you got there. <laughs> So as far as, I mean, you hiked in so many seasons, like the beginning of your book, you're hiking in your snowshoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was, would you say winter was the most challenging season to hike in? By far, yes. And I'm, I'm even from Minnesota. And even, even then, that was a, a pretty atypical winter. Um, generally, the snow is gone by, you know, first week in April. It's, it's, it's mostly gone. We might get a couple more storms here and there, but it doesn't last too long. That year, it was almost like a delayed winter, where all the way up until like the middle of February, we hadn't had any snow yet. So the ground was kind of clear. I kind of had high hopes I'd actually be able to start early. And then it kind of started to snow. And I started wondering, maybe I should get snowshoes in case, you know, it keeps getting deeper. And so that, that actually ended up being a last minute purchase. I think maybe a week before I left, I went and got a pair of snowshoes and uh, just kind of brought them along just in case. And the first four days were pretty good. Uh, there was less than an inch of snow and actually most of the ground was clear. And then I, I remember it very, very clearly as if it was yesterday. Um, it was the, the evening of the fourth day, it started to snow and then it snowed literally every day until May 1st. So on starting on the fifth day, I had to wear my snowshoes every day for six weeks and having to hike on snowshoes, uh, when you're supposed to be covering, you know, 25 miles a day, you're only covering 11 to 14. It's very, very frustrating. So winter just kind of dragged on and on and on way longer than it, it should have. I, I also remember part of that being, you know, most of the lakes were frozen as I was walking past and it made it hard to get water at some point. I was able to get it from like creeks and anything that, that was running. So water actually became an issue at some point. And I, I remember the first lake I saw that wasn't frozen was Lake Superior. I mean, so I, I walked all the way from North Dakota all the way to Lake Superior before I, I, I saw thawed water. Um, so, I mean, that kind of puts it in perspective there. I, I'd hiked basically a thousand miles before I was able to take the snowshoes off. Oh my gosh. Did you ever have to just melt snow to have water? I, I tried that. It didn't work so well for me as I thought. Um, I did the whole, like you, you fill your water bottle with snow and it melts, but I was only able to get it to melt about halfway each night. Um, I had many nights where I woke up and everything I had was frozen, you know, my food, my water, my shoes. Um, it was a very, it was a rough start to a hike for sure. And I, I think it was probably the, the biggest obstacle. By the time I was, I was about two months into the hike, I was actually two weeks behind schedule because of, because of just how long it took me to get through the, the snowed in parts of the trail. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it, it just seemed to go on forever, but, uh, I made it through and, uh, just kind of kept going from there. So that, that was kind of the first major hurdle I had to overcome was just that, that never ending winter that just seemed to never end. And then I had about maybe a week and a half, two weeks of spring finishing up Minnesota along Lake Superior. And then literally the day I entered Wisconsin was the first day of summer. It was 85 degrees. The mosquitoes came out and I had warm weather pretty much all the way through to September. That totally sounds like Midwest weather though. Like snow's over now here's beating hot summer. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) So camping and I mean, all the cold and the snow, was there any big tips or tricks you found that really helped you? Uh, Not really. I tried to figure out what worked for me and I kind of, I was really just winging it the whole time. Um, I was lucky if I could find a dry spot, I would kind of seek those out, especially I... 
I tended to find them more where there's a lot of pines. Um, they tend to have kind of a thicker canopy and I, I was able to find some bare ground there whenever I, I could. Um, and I, I was really just, I was kind of looking for that. If I could just stay dry, that was a huge win. Oh gosh. Yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So then as soon as it switched to like summer, was there a lot of gear that you found you were able to ditch? Um, not a whole lot. I was able to, to ditch the, the snowshoes right when I got to the edge of the Boundary Wars. I sent those home. And after that, I, I hiked a little bit through, I think, Wisconsin just to be safe because it was, it was the beginning of June at that point and we can still get some cold nights even in June. So I, I think I waited till I got through Wisconsin and then I sent home uh, my winter clothes. So I had like a, like a, a set of Under Armour, uh, which was basically a long sleeve and then a, a long pant Under Armour type thing. And then I sent home my two fleece sweaters and um, I kept my stocking cap just in case there was some cold nights. I could just kind of wrap wrap that around my head um that was really the only thing I ended up sending home was basically just my winter gear and I kind of kept everything else with me so you didn't bring any like super thin winter jacket with you nope nope I just had strictly the uh I had the fleece and then I had a windbreaker to go over the top of that brave soul (laughs) but (laughs) yeah yeah, I suppose when you're I mean you got to pack it all in your pack so Exactly. Yeah. Weight and specifically space in your pack, especially on those rare times when you do have to carry, you know, nine or 10 days worth of food. There's not a whole lot of room left after that. Yeah. What was the uh, heaviest pack weight you think you remember having? I don't know for sure, but I think it was, it was over 40 for sure. Um, my, my goal was to try and keep it under 30. I can never quite get there. I'd say the average, it was probably about 35 pounds most of the time a little bit heavier on those longer stretches between towns where it was probably, you know, somewhere between 42 and 45 at the heaviest. And then it was the lightest in areas like Western Ohio, where there's maybe three or four towns you go through almost every day. So I didn't really have any food drops along that whole stretch. So I kind of just resupplied it in town along that part of the trail. So I was only carrying, you know, maybe 25 pounds. So, and, and so I was anywhere in between depending on what part of the trail I was on. Sure. And I can't imagine because like people on like the PCT and AT will like slack pack where they'll put their pack in someone's car. But I can't imagine that on this trail, that's that's a thing that people do, huh? Um, it, I was able to a handful of times and that was only that was pretty much whenever trail angels were willing to do that. Um, so if they happened to live nearby, they would, you know, they would drop me off in the morning, pick me up at the end of the day. Um, that only happened a few times I can think of. Otherwise I was carrying my fully loaded pack the whole time. Yeah. Ooh, that explains why you lost so much weight, huh? Uh, it probably contributed for sure. And the fact that I wasn't, I wasn't eating as much junk food as I'm used to. Yeah. <laughs> so in the beginning you were only doing like 12 to 15 miles a day because of the snow, but as right. the weather warmed up, what was the, the mileage per day? It ended up averaging out to, uh, 25 and that's, that's, as I was doing the planning for my hike, that's what I came up with as a number to shoot for if I wanted to make it, you know, before winter on the east end, because I'd already had su- such a long winter on at the start. I was like, I need to finish by the time it snows again, because I don't want to have to go through this again. And so that was kind of the magic number was 25 miles a day. If I can average that the whole hike, I should be able to finish before winter, winter hits. And then, um, so if, if you kind of do the math based on what the mileage of the trail is, and this doesn't counter in like zero days or anything like that. But if you average 20 miles a day, it'll take you almost exactly seven months to hike the trail. So I wanted to do it in quicker than that. So 25 was kind of the magic number. And I, I was able to maintain that um, pretty solidly after the snow was gone. I had, I had many days that 
was, you know, uh, you know, like 28 mile days. I had several that were over 30, um, depending on how long the day was and kind of how flat the train was. I had one day that was 40 miles. I, I never want to have to hike that far in a day again. Cause it was, it was brutal for sure. Um, oh, 40 but, miles. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a long day. Um, but, uh, so I, I was able to get caught up somewhat. Um, but that two weeks behind schedule ended up staying constant because once you factor in zero days, which I ended up taking 11 of those. Um, so because of that, that two weeks I was behind schedule stayed constant. Um, but I was able to get caught up pretty significantly at some point because I was able to do high mile days where I was doing, you know, 35s, 32s, 30s, um, especially right in the middle of the trail. So when it's like July and August and the days are long, um, it's a lot easier to do that. Yeah. And to only be doing 11 zero days over the six month <laughs> time span is pretty impressive in itself as well. Yeah. Yeah. I would have liked to have taken more, but I was kind of at the, at the point where it's like, I'm only going to take one when I feel like I really need to. So I was kind of just listening to what my body was telling me. So it ended up averaging out like roughly every 500 miles, I would take a day off. And uh, most of the time I would actually take two in a row. So I'd, I'd hike 500 miles, take two days off, hike another 500, take two days off. And um, so I, I did that pretty much the whole hike. And um, that was enough to get me through. Okay. So then you were finished by September of 20, would it have been 2013? Uh, yeah, so it was actually mid-October of 2013 I finished. So my, my first day on the trail, I started March 27th, and I finished October 17th was my last day. So all in all, it was 205 days, and 194 of those were hiking days. Okay, so I was just hoping that we could have you share your trail name story. Where did Strider come from? Yeah, it's actually a good story. Uh, many people believe it's the Lord of the Rings reference, um, which it's actually not. Uh, it's what also kind of makes it ironic because Strider happens to be my favorite character, but um, it's totally not related actually. Um, how it came about was um, I was up camping. I believe it was at Scenic State Park in Northern Minnesota. I was doing a camping trip with my family and it was literally, I think, yeah, it was the day after I actually decided I'm going to do the trail when I graduate college. And so the previous night I was talking to, my mom about, you know, I, I heard about this trail. It sounds amazing. I want to do it. And I was kind of looking for like words of support or encouragement. I was kind of, I was trying to gauge, you know, her reaction to see how she would think about it. And then she was totally supportive. She's like, yeah, if you have this, this dream right out of college, go do it. Cause once you get a job and you're kind of locked in for a while. So she was super, super supportive. And so then we, we started talking more and more and the question of, you know, trail names came up and I was like, huh, I wonder what, I wonder if I'll get a trail name or what it might be when I, when I eventually get it. And then funny enough, it was the next day um, we were on a hike and I, I tend to walk pretty fast. I'm a pretty, pretty fast paced person. I'm also fairly tall. I mean, I'm, I'm average, I'm six foot, um, but much taller than, than she is. And there was this one stretch of the trail where I kind of, my mind was wandering a little bit and I kind of just darted off quicker than I should have. And she she started saying, you know, could you please slow down? I can't keep up with your ridiculously long strides. And um, so kind of this, it, it started as a joke, basically, as, you know, calling me Strider, and it kind of just stuck. And um, no other trail name kind of came up before I, I started the hike. So that just kind of became my trail name. And it's, it's, that's been me ever since. That's cool. So it came from, cause yeah, I thought that it came from when you were out on the North country trail, actually. 
No, it, it was actually uh, two years before, but it was the day after I actually decided I'm going to do it. As soon as I graduate college, I'm going to do this trail. So I had just committed to the idea the day before. That's awesome. And it just kind of happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that your mom's the one that gave it to you because you write about um, like your mom coming up to visit you a couple times in the book too. So it seems like you have a close bond with her. Yeah. She's always been very, very supportive. And I'm. <laughs> it's been really good for me because I'm also one of those people that I tend to kind of walk against the grain. I don't really follow, you know, where the masses are going as much. So uh, many people find some of my choices or my decisions kind of like, you know, abnormal or, um, but she's always been supportive of everything I've done. And um, on, as far as, you know, support for the hike, she was the the number one cheerleader and the number one, you know, support crew. Um, it's kind of starting off the trail in North Dakota there. There's, pretty much the the first like the western half of the state there's not a whole lot of areas to to camp right on the trail anyway and so I kind of I knew about that ahead of time because of all the planning I had done and so she was super kind and took 10 days off of work that she had saved up and basically took it as vacation time and was basically support crew for me for those first 10 days and we would just I would walk as far as I could in a day usually to a, a mile marker or something obvious along the side of the roadblock and then she picked me up there. We'd find a hotel or a campground. And then the next morning, she dropped me off at the same spot again. I keep going. And we did that for 10 days until I got to some of the areas um, kind of around Valley City area where there starts to be more camping opportunities. So I was, I was free to go kind of unsupported at that point. So yeah, she was the, uh, the super most helpful person. And on top of that, she was the one sending all the, the resupply packages and keeping track of the schedule as well. Oh, that's super awesome. Yeah, that support crew person is so, so essential for any solo hikers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially sending those food drop packages. I mean, I don't know how people would go along without a support person. Absolutely. Your whole book, let's talk about your book. Was writing sure. Was writing a book, um, was that the plan when you set out? Because, I mean, you kind of wanted to promote this trail and raise awareness for it. So was writing a book the the goal so it actually was not when I first started out my my main goal was to kind of as you said to raise awareness and hopefully like generate some volunteer interest from out there so my main tool for doing that was to keep a blog basically and I I was hoping to make my my stories especially on particular days kind of interesting enough that people might maybe give a volunteer workday a try or maybe just go hike a piece of the trail and it started happening like pretty early on maybe three weeks in or so, um, I started getting messages from people that said that they enjoyed what I was writing and that my style was kind of unique and that when they started reading, they couldn't stop. And so many of the people encouraged me to consider turning it into a book. And so I kind of took their, their words to heart as I was hiking. And then by the time I was done, I thought maybe I could do this. I, I have enough material here where I potentially could. And, um, so it definitely, it wasn't the plan when I started out, but it ended up just kind of happening based on the positive feedback I got based on the journal entries I was posting. So when, when I got home, I kind of copy pasted all the journal entries I'd had at that point into a word doc and then started, uh, based on notes that I took from, from the field when I was out there, I kind of inserted those where they belonged. And I really fleshed out the journal entries to make them add more of the emotion, more of the, uh, more of the stories about the people and really, really focus on how I was feeling versus what I was seeing. Because I, I always think that that makes for more interesting writing. If you can actually kind of tell what the character of the story is feeling, it makes it much more captivating. So that was kind of my, my goal. 
And like, you can relate so much more to like the way that you're writing. Like, I feel like you're like taking us on this journey and I can like relate to you and it's, yeah, I love, I love your style. Right. Right. So that, that was kind of, that was the part that was kind of missing when I was first posting the journal entry, it was more simple and kind of more straight to the point where it's like today I hiked this many miles. Um, you know, I, I met so-and-so they were really nice. They brought me into their home, but I spend a lot of time after the trail kind of trying to capture some of the emotions, some of the, the personal experiences and adding those in. And by the time I was done, like my, my word count basically doubled. So I had, I, I really filled in a lot of the gaps from where my journal entries started to where the book ended up. And so it was, I mean, cause before this, you had never written a book, correct? No, I had never, I never really written anything. Um, I don't think I'd ever even had an article published anywhere prior to this. How long did it take you to like when, from when you um, wrote it all out, how long did it take to actually get it published then? All in all, it was about a three year process. It took me about a year to get to the point where I had a, a, a rough draft. Um, it took me a year of editing and then it took me another year to find a publisher. So all in all, it was about a three year process. Um, especially I, I know more now just in going through that, that journey. So when I publish my second book, eventually it'll probably be a little bit easier, but, um, it took me, yeah, just finding that, finding how to get published was really the hardest part for sure. Okay. Okay. And as far as you said, you went back and like filled in the details of like your emotions and stuff were, did you ever take any videos during your hike in order to recall those details? Uh, I did. Yeah. And really how, how I ended up filling in most of the details is I look back at my photographs a lot. I took uh, good notes when I was out there as I was kind of composing the journal entries. I would sometimes make little side notes. And so that really triggered a lot of the memories is I made them detailed enough that if I would pair that like with a photograph, it would really, it would trigger the memory. I could go back to that moment in my mind and kind of remember how I was feeling on that day, which really helped. And I did take some videos. Um, every couple of days I tried to, and I ended up, I posted those at some point on a, a YouTube channel, um, several years ago. And, um, lately it's been acting up. I actually don't even think they're accessible right now. And I've always intended to go back and, uh, kind of just restart the whole channel. And, uh, that's one of those things that takes a lot of time and skill that I don't really have. I kind of have to wing it. And I, I just never, I've never had enough time to go back and really re-upload those and re-edit those but I, it is on my to-do list for sure um so there are videos floating out there somewhere online from my nct through hike um it's on my to-do list now to go back and put those in a place where they're easy to find basically and so it sounds like you at the beginning of this i think you said you also give some talks and presentations about your your through hike so what kind of work are yeah. you doing for the tra- or are you working for the trail now I am. Yeah. So I ended up getting uh, an internship uh, less than a year after I finished the the trail. I was a contracted intern uh, through the SCA, which is the Student Conservation Association, which is affiliated with AmeriCorps. And I did that for almost two years. And through that, I was I was able to get a permanent position after that expired. And so I've been in Michigan ever since. I moved here in 2016. And uh, that's where I've been working for the trail here at headquarters in uh, Lowell. And so I'm a, uh, I'm a planner for the National Park Service, for the trail specifically. And uh, my, my duties fill a lot of different categories. I kind of help manage the volunteer program. And I work on uh, projects all across the trail that tend to do with 
specifically where the trail hasn't been built yet, um, I kind of assist uh, the local volunteers in figuring out, you know, where's the best potential spot for this trail to be built down the road. Um, I deal with uh, the signage program and that's also kind of ties in with the volunteer program. When the, when the volunteers build a new piece of trail, they need the, the signs, they need the blaze paint, they need all the supplies they need to actually build the trail. So I, I help them get all that stuff. I have a budget every year that goes towards tools and supplies for the trail. Um, those are just a few of the things I do. Um, <clears throat> and so it all started as an intern. And just as, a, as an individual, I give, I give talks every year. I, I average about between six and eight talks a year. It's usually just by invitation. Um, I've gotten mostly colleges and uh, like outdoor expos. Like I, I've spoken at Midwest Mountaineering a couple of years. Um, so really just whenever anybody has an interest in having me come speak, I'll, I'll make it happen. And um, I've spoken to school groups and um, outdoor groups like the Sierra Club. I've spoken to them before. I really enjoy doing it. It gives me a chance to share my story and kind of inform people about the trail that might not know just how how vast it is and that it's this amazing resource that at like even only a few years ago I'd never heard of it until I decided to volunteer one weekend found out about it and then that turned into a through hike which turned into a job so I mean for me it's kind of a more I'd say an unusual case where actually I made a career out of it but I, I at least want the opportunity to share my my positive story and kind of especially when I, I speak to youth or student groups I try to put the twist on it where it was a dream I had I pursued that dream and it turned into a career for me. So, I mean, things, things do happen if you set your mind to it. Yeah. I mean, that's a really powerful message. And I can only imagine that like you had six months on the trail to really like think deep about your life and think about where your life was headed. So what, during your time on that trail, were you ever kind of thinking like, I'd really love to give back to this trail that I'm taking foot on right now, or did that strike you at all? Absolutely. Yeah. That's kind of where it, where it started. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do a hike right out of college rather than just getting a job right away is I, I kind of had an idea where I wanted to go with my life, but didn't have any specific direction. I just kind of had a general direction to walk in and the hiking the trail kind of helped me focus a little bit. And it, it narrowed down my, my options and my interests to, I want to be involved with trails. And, um, I made some decisions that led to attending some conferences, winning some scholarships to attend uh, like workshop and conventions with trail groups, and then uh, applied for the internship, ended up getting it, and that turned into a job. And so it, it was actually from hiking the trail that I was able to kind of think over that and thought that this might be a potential area I'd like to work in, would be working with these long distance trails. That's where I've been ever since. So it's been seven years. That's really cool. I mean, it just goes to show that one thing in life will unfold and lead you to another and everyone has their own path to hike and yours just sounds like it unfolded so, so perfectly in front of you. Pretty cool. It did. Yeah, I was I I feel uh, very fortunate for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. So you went back and you did that. You started working for the trail and then um, was the trans Ozark trail the was that going to be your second ever through hike that you were going to complete? So actually it wasn't, it was actually like number seven on my list. Oh, so there's a whole lot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole lot more. And actually uh, my second hike actually took place in 2016. I was actually the first through hiker of the Great Plains Trail. It was right before I started my job, like full time, basically it was right before I moved to Michigan. Um, I was able to get uh, a three month furlough in the winter and I hiked from Guadalupe Peak in Texas to the Canadian border in North Dakota. Um, so it was about 220 miles or 2,200 miles 
And um, that was my second big adventure. And it ended up being more epic than I ever thought. And that, that kind of took my, my trail journey to that next step where I now volunteer for them um, on the board of directors for the Great Plains Trail Alliance, using my, my trail knowledge from working with the North Country Trail to help further their mission to establish this brand new trail that only came into existence about eight years ago. And so that, that, that's been kind of a, a passion project I've been working on uh, for the past four years now. And so my to-do list is forever getting longer and longer um, just from working with two different trails. So that was my, my second through hike and the Transozark Trail ended up being my third just because the way that my position is set up and it was, it was kind of the, the time window I was able to get off work and especially with the time of year is every couple of years I've been able to take off a month or two for my own pursuits. And so I, I had to wait um, four years basically the early, the early spring is kind of that time window when things haven't really started up again for like from the, the winter. So things are kind of slow. So that, that's really the, op- the opportune time for me to kind of take a step back if I need to. And so that was just the, that was one of the few trails that I could actually hike at that time of year. So I decided to take advantage of that opportunity. And um, so I, I spent about a year planning for this hike as well. And then I made it halfway and then the uh, pandemic happened. So I had to come home, unfortunately, which is why I'm like, I, I probably wouldn't have the opportunity just with how busy my work schedule is to take more time off until next spring, unfortunately. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking probably February of next year, I'll, I'll have to go back and finish the second half. Um, but my, my list of potential hikes is long. I have a list of about 15 I want to do at some point. And once you get that full-time job, it's it's hard to step away for the time you need to actually pursue those things, unfortunately. Right, right, for sure. I mean, it sounds like you just really take time to plan for them. And like, it's so nice that you work for a place that's so understanding of giving you a certain amount of time off to do these things. Yeah, I've been I've been fortunate so far. I do wish it was more often, but I'll take every every couple of years because that's that's what I get right now. So I'm just I've I made the most of it. And so I'm just uh, I'm hoping that they'll understand that because of the pandemic, I have to go back and finish now. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that they'll let me sneak away next year for about a month to finish it off. Yeah, for sure. So when you did the Great Plains Trail, going back to that, how mm. how long did that one take you? So that took me three months and that was, um, that added a little bit of extra stress because I, I had just started working. So I had exactly 90 days off work. So I had to fit in a 2200 mile hike in that time frame. So again, I had to average 25 miles a day, which was n- no issue at all. And the big challenge with that trail is because nobody had through hiked it. So there was no, no record whatsoever of hiker services or even some of the route hadn't even been identified yet. So I kind of had to start from scratch. And for a year or almost for a year, I was on the phone with the director um, every week. We would spend about an hour and a half on the phone, usually on Wednesday evenings, just walking through mile by mile of the trail about where we, we thought it should go and like what, what was feasible for a first time hiker. Like, is it even possible to do it on foot? And there are some areas that were definitely going to be tricky. And so by the end of the planning session, he and I went through and ended up mapping the entire trail to kind of give it a, give it a go. But there are still some areas that right now it's not possible to do it without support. Most of that, it, actually really the whole thing is in the state of New Mexico, where there's 500 miles of trail. Almost all of it is a roadwalk right now because it's kind of on that eastern end of the state. And there's not a whole lot of public land out there. And it is possible to do it um, on a bicycle. 
uh, without support because you can cover, you know, 60 or 70 miles in a day, whereas on foot you can't. So I kind of had to get creative there and ended up making a, a deal um, with the board of directors that I would kind of be their guinea pig to even see if it was possible through hike this trail. Cause that's kind of the thing they were missing is they had this, they had this grand idea to establish basically America's next long distance trail. And they knew where they wanted to go with it, but they were kind of having trouble getting attention and getting support for it. So really they figured that the next thing they wanted was they wanted somebody to attempt it and they actually through hike it. Cause that story might give them the next push they need to get some publicity out there and get some support, hopefully get some funding. So I agreed to be their guinea pig to do my absolute best, give it a shot, see if it was even possible. So for that stretch in New Mexico, where it's not currently possible to hike without support, they each took um, a week of vacation time and basically became a support crew. So for three weeks, um, I had one of them with me for about a week and I would walk as far as I could in a day along the road and then usually stop at a mile marker. They picked me up. We'd go to a campground or a, or a hotel, um, usually about 40 miles away because that was the nearest town. And then they draw me off at that same spot in the morning. I, I, I continue to go. I did that for three weeks and then I made it to a point where I was able to do the rest of the hike unsupported and just kind of went from there. So there was a lot of extra logistics with that one to figure out. Um, but then once I, once I figured those out and had a plan in place, it ended up being way, way more awesome and epic than I ever thought it could be. I'd been to the, to the Great Plains a few times prior to that and didn't really know what to expect. I was dreading some areas of it. Some of those really remote, semi-arid, dry stretches didn't know what was going to be there. And I was blown away by some of the just the remarkable, unexpected scenery that's out there. And also, again, with the, the trail magic, I didn't meet a single person that was hostile towards the, the trail. I had trail magic almost as often as I did on the North Country Trail, which was surprising for a trail that didn't even exist yet. Um, so it was it was just as epic, I think, as my first through hike. And I am so, so glad I decided to do that because now I kind of have a side project that I'm really passionate about. I make a trip, or I guess I should say I make a return trip every year um, and work on Great Plains Trail stuff for about a week every summer. And it's been, so it's just kind of, it's added that extra layer and that extra step to my, my trail journey. And I am, uh, I am so grateful for that opportunity as well. Well, yeah. And it's just so like listening to you speak about the Great Plains Trail and the North Country Trail, your passion for hiking these trails and spreading awareness is so clear. And it's just so awesome to hear you talk about it. Did you, um, when you were hiking the Great Plains Trail, did you, so you said the trail magic was just as apparent as it was on the North Country Trail. Did you find that people were like, like the publicity of you hiking the trail was spread as much? Um, The publicity wasn't there as much. It was most of the trail magic I got was from random encounters or sometimes just word of mouth. Um, I was in a couple like newspaper articles though, which is good in some of the bigger cities like um, in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota did a, did a piece on it. And then uh, Scotts Bluff, Nebraska had an article in the paper and that kind of helped. Um, otherwise, uh, just chatter from the, uh, the Great Plains Trail Facebook page really helped. They would kind of track my progress and give updates whenever they could. And then most of the help I received was just people that I just happened to run into out there. And um, I've maintained friendships with a lot of those people. And um, I am actually working on my second book, which will be about that trip. Life's kind of gotten in the way the past you know, year and a half or so. I'm definitely not as far along on that book as I would like to be. 
that's actually the main thing I've been working on since I've returned from my trans Ozark trail hike is working on getting that book as much done on it as I possibly can. So I've been working on it a little bit every day getting caught up a little bit. Um, so there will eventually be a book about the Great Plains Trail because that, that's a story that needs to be told for sure. What year was that one in then? That was 2016. I started, um, Valentine's Day actually, and I finished May 8th. So about 86 days I was out there. Okay. Has anybody else successfully completed that trail since you did? Not that I know of. Um, we've had actually just this past year, we had a, um, a guy, um, his name is Clay Bonnyman Evans. He hiked, um, what we're calling the pilot trail, which is kind of where a lot of the existing trail where it's concentrated and also where we, where we've had the most support from like the public land managers and where we've actually already been able to build new trail in the last three years. Um, so it's about a 300 mile stretch starting in Scottsbluff, Nebraska, um, and then going all the way up to the North end of the black Hills in South Dakota. So there's a 300 mile stretch there. And he through hiked that specific section this past summer. And he, he kept the blog as he went along and they've actually been posting his blogs, um, during, during this, uh, lockdown, basically every week they have a new entry from his, his experience. And he was able to bring a lot more, uh, awareness to it because they, they actually had a news crew from uh, Omaha come out and do an, an interview with him when he was out there. So he kind of took it another step further. Now that we've had a couple more sections of trail actually added. Um, he's been the first hiker to come through since then, since stuff's been added to the route and been able to kind of get his take on it. And um, so we're, we're seeing progress and uh, more, more awareness, more interest. And I've gotten a couple of messages and I, I, I've spoken a couple of times on the Great Plains Trail as well, especially when I'm out there. When I do these annual trips back, I try and give at least one talk at one of the towns near the trail. And I've gotten a couple people that are interested in attempting it in a, a couple of years once their family lives or whatever settle down a little bit. Um, so I, I hope that some of them follow through on it because we could definitely use some some more publicity. Absolutely. Do you foresee that trail ever becoming as popular as, say, like the PCT or the AT? Or do you think, say, the North Country Trail is the next one to become the most popular? Um. I don't know that that's a, a hard question because the uh, the the Triple Crown are so they're they're at such a, a higher level than any of the other trails just as far as awareness goes. I think it'll be hard for any of the other trails to to quite match that, but um, they'll have potential for sure. The the NCT definitely has potential, especially now that um, as of this year that legislation passed and we officially do meet the Appalachian Trail now. So. Once we get a sign put up at the Eastern Terminus, those, all those AT hikers going north will start seeing a sign in Vermont that says, oh, North Country Natural Scenic Trail. Then they'll, they'll start wondering, what is this? And they'll start thinking, maybe my next hike should be on this trail. Um, and as far as the Great Plains Trail goes, it definitely has potential. I didn't know how much potential it had before I actually went out there and hiked it, but it's the potential for it to become another National Scenic Trail is absolutely there. It, it goes through um, nine national park sites, um, 10 national forests or grasslands, about 15 state parks, um, some sizable communities and some really small communities. And pretty much every day is a scenic vista uh, of, because I mean, basically if you're on, there's some parts of the trail where you can see for 20 miles in all directions, even on just a small hill. So there's, there's scenery all the way along the thing. And so I was, I was blown away at just how much potential it had. And I don't, I don't think it'll ever be at the level of what any of the triple crowners are now, but it definitely has potential to be one of the more 
popular ones once more trail gets built. And it also have that extra appeal in the sense that it's not going to be foot traffic only. Most of it will also be open to mountain bikers and horseback riders as well. So there'll be multiple user groups uh, being able to enjoy it, which is a, an advantage, I think, that some of the other trails don't necessarily have just based on where they're located. Um, so the, the potential is absolutely there. Um, it'll just, it'll, it'll definitely take a while to get there because we're kind of just starting out. And did you find that people are section hiking that trail right now, the Great Plains Trail? Um, that hasn't, uh, that hasn't happened yet as far as I know of. What is happening though is that there's parts of it that people are hiking without realizing they're on the Great Plains Trail kind of thing. Um, so that's actually one project I'm working on right now is I'm researching uh, grants um, to apply to have some signs made so that we can eventually put those up along where the trail has been built already. So then people, when they're going out there on these hikes, they'll actually start seeing Great Plains Trail signage and then they'll know what the Great Plains Trail is and hopefully start researching it and hopefully get involved. That's kind of the, the idea. Are the people that are going out right now, do they just kind of think they're hiking on public land? Sort of, yeah. There's, uh, there's many spots where the trail is pretty subtle because it doesn't get a whole lot of traffic. So like they like there's one trail um, called the Bison Trail. It's in Nebraska. And it's a three and a half mile section across the national grassland. And it's marked uh, with painted fence posts. But on a lot of it, there isn't actually a visible tread because it doesn't get a whole lot of traffic. So people there don't necessarily know that they're even on a trail. They're just kind of following these fence posts. Um, so the idea is over time, once we get better signage, that a better route will be be actually worn into the earth and people will start hiking it more and becoming more aware of it. And that's just one example. Um, another example is we piggyback on the Centennial Trail in the Black Hills, and that's about 130 miles long or so. And that trail gets quite a bit of traffic, but as of right now, there's no signage to indicate that it's part of this bigger trail, which is the Great Plains Trail. So once we get some signage put up, at all these all these popular busy trailheads, people will, will start realizing that they're on this bigger trail and hopefully get interested and get involved. Is there a lot of guidebooks made about that trail yet? There is one. We just came out with a data book last year, actually, and uh, we're it's a it's a work in progress. It's a very basic version, and right now it, it only covers that pilot trail I was talking about earlier. It's that three hundred mile piece. So there isn't one yet for the entire trail. That's another project that's on my ever growing list of things to do so at, at some point there will be one um i'm not sure what the what the timeline is on that officially there is the first data book that came out um i believe it was last july it was finally published so there is something out there and there is uh the original map of the route is posted on the website as well okay so wow yeah your your life is pretty pretty well consumed by trail right now and so maybe it's maybe it's a blessing in disguise that you had to get off the trans ozark trail to give yourself some time to work on all these millions of projects you have <laughs> yeah it's um yeah having uh this is the end of week four that i've been off trail um so uh it's i've definitely been able to get caught up on my to-do list uh which i just I usually, I usually have either the energy or the time, but not both at the same time during my real life. So having three and a half weeks to do nothing has allowed me all the time in the world I need to get some of these things done, which has been a blessing for sure. Yeah, definitely. So when you had to get off that Trans-Ozark Trail, what were your initial thoughts and feelings about getting off due to the pandemic? I was, I was torn initially. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't quite made a 
decision, yeah, I was kind of weighing my options. I'd be like, am I safer out here than trying to get home? But then I started thinking about more the bigger picture. I'm like, okay, it's not really about me. It's about all the communities along the trail, which there, there aren't very many. But I was thinking, you know, how awful would it be if the one time I go into a convenience store or a post office, I get it and then bring it to all these other little towns along the trail without knowing it. And so I started thinking about that and started thinking it's probably like I should consider getting off trail. And this is, this is before like lockdown started happening. And the one thing I was amazed at is just how fast it escalated, especially one thing I found is in the Ozarks, at least for most of it, there isn't very good cell coverage. So I would go five or six days without hearing anything, without being connected to the world because my phone just didn't work most of the time. So I remember it was my first, my first town in Arkansas. I, I found out about um, that it had escalated a little bit since the last time I'd updated. And then it was within about a week, I was able to check my phone again at a campground and it was starting to, to look like, you know, some other hikers on other trails had already bailed on their hikes. And then it was a matter of two days later um, when I checked again, eight states were on lockdown, like all of a sudden. So then at, at that point, I was thinking it's probably best to go home, play it safe. And uh, I'm, it took me about a day and a half to get off trail from where I was, but I'm glad I did. I ended up getting a rental car on the last day the rental car place was going to be open. And um, so if I, if I would have stayed an extra day, I could have been trapped in Arkansas for all I know. Um, so I have, I have no, um, no regrets about coming home. I definitely made the right call and did it at the right time. So I'm just, I'm just hopeful now that I'll be able to go back uh, early next spring and finish the second half of the journey. Cause I really, I really want to for sure. Yeah. I mean the whole, it did really unfold so quickly, like within a matter yeah. of three days, things just got crazy. And so many States went to lockdown. Yep. It's crazy. Was there a handful of other hikers on the trans Ozark trail at the time? There were hikers on pieces of it. So um, I guess as it's kind of a summary, the trans Ozark trail is really, it's the combined Ozark and Ozark Highlands trail, um, which is basically Missouri and Arkansas. And all in all, it's, closest to 700 miles, but I took it a step further and threw in the Washita Trail in there, which is, it's about a four days walk from the end of the Ozark Highlands Trail. So my, my trans Ozark Trail was all three of those trails combined, kind of strung together. And so I made it halfway through that. And I only encountered, uh, I think three people that were going at least a big piece of it. I ran into three guys as a group who were hiking the entire Ozark Trail. So they were doing the Missouri portion of it. And I was able to spend a day with them. And um, other than that, I was the only other person I knew of at the time that was uh, attempting a hike of the whole thing. Um, I knew that earlier in the year, like there, there been some people out there in January and I think early February who had done the Arkansas portion of it. Um, Cause people, people do through hike that it's about 230 miles. They through hike that every year. So there were a handful of people so far that had done it. I'm the only person I know of that actually had to get off trail because of the, the pandemic. I'm sure there were probably others um, on either piece of the, the longer trail. And I, I had a friend who was uh, hiking the Arizona trail at the time and she had to bail as well for the same reason. She had started um, her hike roughly the same time I did and um, had to get off because of the, the pandemic. And I, I, feel, um, I feel fortunate that the trail I chose was short enough that I could, I could take another month off and go finish it. I hear stories about people that, you know, they, they quit their jobs to go hike the AT and they can't now 
Um, so I'm just, I feel bad, unfortunate for those people. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that they're able to, to do it next year and hopefully still get the same experience they were hoping for. Right. For sure. Yeah. We had a woman on named Erin who she was getting ready to go through hike the AT that, and yeah, she just shared her whole story with us about her feelings and thoughts about not being able to go out and do it now, but yeah, she quit her job. She was ready to go. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, it's just, you can't predict something like that. It's just an act of nature that came up and just kind of threw a wrench in everything and everybody's being affected in some way. Yeah. So did this trail officially say they're closed or it was just obvious that you had to get off? Yeah, there was no official notice that said they were closed, but I was looking at what other trails were saying. And, you know, the AT had already said, you know, if anybody hasn't started their through hike yet, don't do it this year. Um, they were encouraging people to go home. So I was, I was looking at what other trails were, were doing. And uh, I decided that, okay, I'll, I'll follow, I'll follow suit and um, do what everybody else is, is uh, requesting that their, their trail users do as well. So I, I decided then it was time to go home. And really it was, um, it was that with a combination of, um, I actually got to a spot on the trail where it's actually a ford across a creek. Well, the water levels were really high and it, it became an impossible crossing. So I took that as a sign that it was time to go home. So, cause I, there was no way out. I kind of hit a dead end at that point. So it took me a day to get off trail because I had to backtrack 20 miles to where I was actually able to get off, off trail. And so that, that was kind of the second piece of the puzzle that said, okay, maybe that's a sign it's time to go home. The, the trail gods have thrown this impossibly high water crossing in front of um, that I can't get across. So that, that seemed like a bigger sign than any that it was time to go home. So I, uh, I did. And I, I'm glad I did because as soon as I got home, Michigan went into lockdown and uh, I, I was really worried about getting, being able to actually come home if I waited too much longer. Um, so I'm definitely glad I did. Right. But you said you, you drove home. I did. Yeah. I was able to get a, a ride off trail about a half hour. And then there was a rental car place there. I figured that was the safest way I wanted to avoid uh, planes, trains, any kind of public transit. I wanted to avoid it. Um, so I thought getting a rental car is probably the safest way. So I, I was able to get a car in Harrison, Arkansas and, um, got it on the last day the dealership was going to stay open. And I just drove it to Michigan and I've been here ever since just kind of hunkering down on my own. Yeah. Just kind of been in isolation ever since then. Pretty much. Yeah. You were kind of isolated <laughs> by yourself on the trail. Now you're just I was. isolated in a home. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, at least you're at least you're safe and home. And yeah, like you said, you'll you're planning on getting back out there next year. Hopefully, yeah. That that's the plan. And then hopefully down the road I can start checking off, you know, one of the other 15 trails I want to do at some point. Is the goal to write a book about every trail you hike to? No, so I have a I have a specific list of the ones that are going to become books and it comes down to this concept known as the C to C route which is something that Ron Strickland came up with. He's the founder of the Pacific Northwest Trail. And uh, so any, any trails that have a piece of that are going to become books, basically. And the idea is it's to make a continuous footpath that you can walk from the Atlantic to the Pacific Ocean. And um, the North Country is by far the biggest percentage of that. With, it has about 60% of the route, if not more. And um, the Appalachian Trail has a good portion of it, so eventually I'll have to do that. The Pacific Northwest Trail is a big piece of it. That was actually the next hike I wanted to do, but the timing just didn't work out. Um, and then the Great Plains Trail is, is a piece of that. So my my plan is to eventually have a four-volume set. It'll be four 
four hikes that I've done that each compose a piece of the C to C route. And so by the time it's over, I will have walked from the Atlantic to the Pacific in four different pieces. And um, so th those four are going to get books and then all the others will be just uh, a blog entry somewhere online. What an awesome end goal. So you're, you're becoming probably what most people call is a serial hiker. <laughs> uh, yes. And that, that's one thing I found after doing the North Country Trail is that once you do a through hike, you're, it's pretty much in your DNA at that point. Um, you feel the desire to always do more and see more. And I, that was definitely true for me. I, I immediately started thinking, what's my next hike going to be? And it ended up being the Great Plains Trail because I, I discovered that as I was doing research for the North Country Trail. And I was fascinated by it and started doing a little bit more research. And um, so that, it, that ended up being it for me. But so, and that's now why I have a list of 15 other trails is because I just, I just don't want to stop. I want to keep, keep going and seeing new places, especially with, um, you know, with like the current political climate, there's some doubt about certain public lands being around forever. And so it's like, I always tell people, if you get a chance to go experience it now, do it. Cause they, they, in reality, they might not always be here. So it's to enjoy it now while you can. Yeah, that's absolutely true. We've talked about so, so, so much. Oh yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you was where did the title through and back again come from? Cause you didn't literally hike through and back again. No, no. So it's a, it's a double meaning, actually. Um, so the first meaning is anybody who is a J.R.R. Tolkien fan will know that it's a play on words with the original title of The Hobbit, which was there and back again. So it was, uh, it was an alteration on that. And I was trying to find a clever title that was unique and that no other, no other book titles existed for it. And that was the only one that I came up with when I was trying to come up with a name that fit that because there there's no other book right now in existence that, with that same title. So mine's the only one. And um, also that, the fact that I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, that kind of helped with that. But also the, the main meaning is that it was my first through hike. So I through hiked the trail and ended up going back again. The back again is being my employment with the trail. Um, so I, I, I wasn't like most hikers that they'll get on a trail, they'll do a through hike, and then they'll leave. I left for a while just to recover and then I came back and I've been here ever since kind of thing um so my my journey with the trail is not over I, I've been I've been involved in some way shape or form for seven years that's a really really cool meaning I was just wondering like have I just not read the part of the book where he hikes all the way back <laughs> <laughs> no okay. I, I definitely I definitely didn't hike back no Nope. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, that's a really cool title then and a lot of a lot of thought behind it. That's really, really neat. Yeah. And actually, that was actually coming up with a good title uh, was actually, I think, harder than writing the whole book. And it was it was literally the last thing I did. I had my rough draft done before I had a title. And the first um, the first time I submitted it for um, people to go through and edit it, do a rough edit, I didn't have a title yet. Um, it was just called, I think, Luke's book on the draft. And so it was, uh, it was literally the last thing I did before publishing because it was just so hard to come up with a good, catchy title that would be easy to remember. Yeah, well, and I love that it has the double meaning and that it just goes back to like your passion in life and what you're doing with your life right now. There's so much meaning behind it. And um, so is there anything else that we didn't talk about? I mean, we've kind of hiked and walked all over your story. <laughs> Sure. Um, we covered most of it, but um, I just wanted to mention that I've um, I have gotten maybe somewhere between twenty and thirty emails from people you know over the last seven years since I did my hike that are 
potentially interested in attempting a through hike at some point. Um, and so I just wanted to throw that out there that anybody's that thinking about it, I'm, I'm happy to kind of be a, a coach of sorts um, on, on how, to, how to prepare for an NCT through hike and give you any advice that I can give. I'm always happy to do that. And uh, I'm also on, I've been on a couple other podcasts. The first one I was ever on was um, the, the trail show that's based out of Colorado. And I think it was episode 42, which was, would have been back in 2015, I think. And um, I just wanted to reference that because they, they asked me a lot of specific questions about you know, how much of it is off-road. So if you want a little bit of trivia, I would definitely go back and check out that podcast uh, from four years ago because I, I kind of cover more, more specifics about what is it, the trail actually like once you get out there. Um, so that, that might be helpful as a resource for anybody that's interested in that. And other than that, I think we covered, we covered most of it. I, I, I would definitely just say that if you're thinking about a thru-hike, and want to do something or want an idea that's not one of the big three because either there's too many people or you're like me and you want more of a unique experience i definitely recommend giving the ntt a, a try there's great resources the volunteer community is very heavily involved and they're very enthusiastic about long distance hikers coming through and uh, the resources are more available than they were when i was planning so it's, it's easier to find information now and it's not um it's a lot it's a lot more doable than people realize that it is it's a lot less road walking than it than it seems as long as you plan ahead it's a very enjoyable uh through hike for sure and i i think it's i mean given i've only hiked a handful of the trails but i think it has the has the potential to be the crown jewel of the whole system for sure just with how long it is how unique it is how diverse it is it has some of the best qualities you could hope for in any, any long distance trail, for sure. I think you summed it up pretty well and just sold it to the whole audience. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's awesome. This has been a super, super awesome opportunity to have you on. Where can people get in touch with you? So I have a public Facebook page that's just my trail name, Strider, and then the letters NTT after that. They can feel free to send me a message on there if they, if they would like. Um, also I have, I have a similar email address. It's just striderNCT at gmail.com. I'm happy to answer questions there as well. And, uh, also on that same vein, if you're looking for more of the information, if you're interested in having me come speak at a group or something like that, I'm always happy to do that. Share my story. Yeah. And if people want to know about those talks is the best place for them to follow you, your Facebook page. Uh, yeah. So whenever, whenever I have a talk, I always post on there usually about a month in advance if I can. There really isn't a set schedule. I really just end up giving them whenever I get a request to do it. There's usually, you know, one or two in the, like the, it would be about this time of year in late spring. So th this year it's not happening, but, and then there's usually a handful in the summertime and usually one or two in the late fall as well, like before Thanksgiving, but it, it kind of just depends on, um, you know, like if the outdoor program at a school is looking for a program or if one of these like outdoor adventure expos has uh, exhibitor space they want to fill, it just kind of depends on, I really, I, I speak upon invitation basically. And so it just depends on whichever group happens to find out about me and get me into their schedule. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you do have a website as well, correct? I do, it's very outdated. Um, when I set it up, I was only anticipating on doing the one hike. Now that I've done more, I'm gonna have to expand it and I can't figure out how without starting over from scratch. So that'll be, that's one of those projects that is on my list that I have to get to is just redo my entire website. But it's, um, the address I'm anticipating will still be the same and it's the same. It's striderNCT.com. My original journal entries are up there. So this is way before the book was published. All my photos are there. There's over, I think, 4,000 
photos that are there and they're organized into 20 some you know albums to make it you know more manageable to go through and look at all those and all my photos are posted on my public facebook page as well and even if you don't have an account you should be able to view it on there it should be just publicly accessible and my contact information would also be on that website so there's a spot where my email is just listed right there I guess that's it. I'm only the only social media platform I'm on right now is Facebook. I don't have an Instagram or Twitter or any of that stuff. You're too busy on the trails. You can't manage all your social media stuff. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Awesome. And yeah, we'll definitely be sure to link um, all those in the show notes as well. So people can easily find them. Awesome. Sounds good. Yeah, for sure. One thing that I always kind of finish off with once I give these talks is if anybody's considering doing a through hike, but they're not really, they're not dead set on anything. And I'm, what I'm seeing now is these people that email me that they're interested in, in attempting the trail. I found out that they're in one of two camps. Half of them seem to be more like where I came from, where they live near the trail their whole life, but never knew about it. And then suddenly they just discovered it and got super, super excited about it. And the other half are people that, you know, they know they want to do a through hike, but they're they're afraid that, you know, the AT is too crowded now, the Pacific Crest Trail is too crowded now, where else can I do a long hike? And so I always, I always encourage them, give the NTT a try. It's just out there. There's, if you want solitude, it's the best trail to do because you're not going to see really any other through hikers. It'll be just you that's going, that's doing the whole thing. So if you want solitude, it's definitely a trail to, to do. And also if you want a more unique experience, it's also the trail, I think, to, to really give it a try. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the unique experience within the people that you met in itself in your book, like I've already discussed, it's just right. the people added so much to your experience, it seems. Absolutely. And then all the people here are anxious and really excited to help. And that's, I think part of the reason is because we don't get a whole lot of through hikers that come through. So whenever one does show up, it's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. The whole community comes together. That's really neat. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. Thank you for sharing that. This is going to be a super awesome, informative podcast. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I was able to, to come on and share my story a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. We were super excited to have you on, especially after we had Matt come on a few months back and talk about the North Country Trail. So yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been so good to have you on and hear your perspective and talk to you. Oh, thank you so much for, for having me. I'm, I'm happy to return at any point in the future that you see fit. Awesome. I don't know about you all, but that really made me want to go through hike the North Country Trail. Hearing Luke describe the trail and just his experience on the trail, it really, really kind of invigorated me to pursue another through hike. I did the Superior Hiking Trail this past fall, which is part of the North Country Trail. I mean, I was one of those people that, like Luke had mentioned, who had this kind of idea in my mind about the trail being, I don't know, not as, not necessarily accessible, but as desirable because of its incompleteness and some of the road walks. But after hearing his description of his experience and how those roadwalks are, are kind of insignificant in the grand scheme of things, it now really makes me want to go experience the trail. I guess the other thing that kind of maybe steers me away from it a little bit, or at least my initial perception, is that it's not necessarily a, a complete 
wilderness type of a, a hike the entire time. Maybe I'm just uh, spoiled because my first ever backpacking experiences were up on the Superior Hiking Trail, which is just this pristine wilderness experience, this pristine trail, and going to something different. I really don't know if I want to experience something that isn't that, but I I did experience some of the more urban hiking during my Superior Hiking Trail through hike through the Duluth section. You're going through neighborhoods, you're going through the Canal Park area of Duluth, which is, I, I guess, a little bit more, more touristy. Hearing what Luke did say, though, about the diversity and the diverse landscapes, it does make me want to go experience that whole trail. And I think another thing that kind of grabs my attention about this trail, though, is that it's so much longer than some of the others, like the AT. I believe it's about twice the the length of the AT, which makes it an interesting challenge to thru-hike in a single season. Sarah also asked Strider if he thought that the either Great Plains Trail or North Country Trail would become more popular or kind of at that level of the PCT or AT. And to be honest, I kind of hope it doesn't. I think one of the hidden gems about these trails is just how um, little traffic they do get as far as through hiking goes. You won't be caught up in these little hiker bubbles that you may experience like on the AT where you may be sharing a shelter with 50 other people at a time. So there's that that solitude piece that Luke kept mentioning about um, one of the benefits of through hiking the NCT. And I just also wanted to make a little bit of a correction is that um, Sarah did mention that that we had a guest on Aaron Egan who hiked the or was planning to hike the AT and actually she was planning to hike the PCT, which um, unfortunately she wasn't able to do due to the uh, current coronavirus pandemic. But if you want to go check out her story, go listen to episode 33 of our podcast. There's also a little bit of news I read today, too, that um, the Minnesota section of the North Country Trail, which currently has a guidebook in print, just released the digital version of that guidebook. So if you're looking to maybe carry along the guidebook, but lighten your load, you can download that digital version of the Minnesota section of the North Country Trail guidebook. Exploring the North Country Trail is definitely something that I'm going to uh, seek out more and hopefully someday attempt a through hike possibly. So we'll see where that ends up. But yeah, after listening to Strider talk about his experience, it just it made me want to get out there and go go chase that. If you want a more detailed account of Strider's experience on the North Country Trail, go check out his book, Through and Back Again. We'll have a link to his book in the description of this podcast episode. We'll also have a link to his website and his Facebook page. 
if you want to get in touch with him, if you're anticipating an NCT through hike and have some questions or just want to pick his brain about the trail, go check out his Facebook page and get in touch with them there or get in touch with him at his email address, stridernct at gmail.com. We love sharing these stories with you through the Hiking Through Life podcast, and we're so grateful that you listen to this podcast. If you'd like to support the Hiking Through Life podcast further, we have these amazing new t-shirts and water bottles. The t-shirts come in four colors, and the water bottles are perfect for trails, adventuring, or daily use. Consider checking them out at hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. Use the code podcast and receive 10% off your first order. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.